Podcast. What is up, lacrosse fans? You're watching another episode of the Lax Factor Lacrosse Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about Duke and how they are built to demolish the lacrosse landscape. And before you get all butthurt and angry, I'm not trying to say they're going to do that. I'm just saying this team is brutal all the way through and that there is a very good chance they're going to wreak some havoc in 2021. Before I get into the rest of this here, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell. Also go to laxfactor.com. You can get swag, hats, t-shirts, support the channel that way because certainly we don't get a whole lot of ad revenue from YouTube uh, these days. And and uh, that's pretty much it. Uh, oh, and if you want to listen to the audio version of the podcast, you can go to anchor.fm forward slash laxfactor. So let's get into this now. Duke. Built to, to demolish the lacrosse landscape, and hear me out here. I'm, I don't think I'm wrong, but the question of the day before I dive into it is, while I'm stumping for Duke here, and I'm not really stumping for them as the national title, title winner, I'm not predicting anything, but I am stumping for the fact that they are insanely loaded top to bottom, and they have to be, on paper, one of the best rosters in the country, and I dare say the best roster in the country. So while I'm stumping for them here, begrudgingly so, who do you think's going to win it all? Who do you think has the best chance to win it all, if not Duke? Or you could support me and tell me why you think I'm right about Duke. But that's the question of the day. Pop that in the comments. Give me your answer. So let's get into it. Duke returns almost everyone from last year's team. And that team was capable of winning the ACC. More than likely, they would have ended up probably second or third, as Syracuse and UVA were both loaded as well. UVA was struggling early like Duke. Syracuse had kind of gotten off to a decent start, won a couple of close games early. So all the people that were angry, that the Cuse fans were excited about how we started the season. As us Cuse fans, we had gotten used to losing the first one, you know, one or two of our first couple of games over the last few years. And, uh, or at least last year, that's what happened. And, uh, Duke, they, they always kind of start spotty as well. UVA kind of started spotty here in, in 2020 as well. So Syracuse had won all of their first five games. I think it was, and you know, Duke and Virginia had dropped a couple. So I think what Duke's problem was in the end was they were lacking that alpha. Duke had a lot of really t high-end lacrosse players on their roster, but they were lacking that best player on the field, at least from an offensive perspective. And I think that was what was going to hurt them, and I think that's the reason they probably wouldn't have won the ACC. Nobody was still going to want to play them come tournament time. They were going to make the tournament, and no one wanted to play them come that time because it, whether they had that alpha or not, they were going to be capable of knocking off some teams and ruining some people's days. But they lacked the alpha. Enter Michael Sowers. We have a COVID-shortened season. Uh, you know, the Ivy League, Princeton included, decided, or, you know, some of the Ivy League, but Princeton, one of those teams decided, nope, no red shirts. So Sowers graduates from Princeton and he decides to take his red shirt year to Duke, uh, to play as a graduate student at Duke. Duke's roster was already loaded and it, like loaded insanely, uh, in terms of just who they were getting in in 2021 and they were getting everybody back. Robertson was going to be back. So Duke was already looking solid again for 2021. You take the best player in the country because that's what Michael Sowers has been since his sophomore year, just not on the best team or on, even on a good team for that matter, but he was the best player in the country, in my opinion, since his sophomore year. You drop him on that Duke roster. Now they have the best player in the country, not just the best player on the field that day. They have the best player in the country on that team to go with one of the best defenders in the country, to go with an insanely deep midfield line and, and too many attackmen to put on the field at once. 2020, 
I mean, it's going to be brutal. I mean, you figure Princeton, I think Sowers put up eight points in Princeton's upset win over UVA in 2020. I mean, this kid doesn't just put points up against chumps. He's putting eight points up against, you know, last year's national title winner and in a very good defensive team, very aggressive defensive team in Virginia. Offensive returners to help complement Sowers. Everyone. Literally everyone. And I had I didn't even realize when I wrote this that Joe Robertson, I think that's his name, Joe Robertson from Princeton, also transferred and is going to play at Duke. So there's a familiar face and a guy who can score uh, that Duke picked up. But we go through the list of offensive returners. Manown, 14 goals, four assists, assists coming back. Robertson, injured in 2020, but he went 42 and 17 in 2019, coming back. Young gun Dyson Williams. Uh, 25 goals, five helpers, 55% shooting percentage. The kid is a legit finisher coming back. What about some new guys, new faces, Brendan O'Neill. Yep. He'll be a first year savage being compared to the likes of John Grant jr. Big boy. He's got a sick stick will fit in nicely as a two Dodger compliment to Sowers as the QB. Now, oddly, Williams, he's going to be a sophomore, but I think he'll have four years left because of COVID. He led Duke in scoring last year in the shortened season and a guy like him, playing opposite a guy like Mike Sowers, look out, man. I mean, it's going to be brutal. And, and Williams isn't necessarily like their second or even third best player, although he could be. But the way that he'll compliment Sowers, the way that he can camp on the backside, the way that he plays off ball, the, the efficiency and his finishing capabilities, all of it spells disaster for teams that are trying to put eyeballs on Michael Sowers. They're going to be trying to, you know, hedge the two-man game that Sowers is going to end up playing with Manown and Robertson and maybe O'Neal, and you're just going to have a, a Dyson Williams camping on the backside, waiting to get shots off from the outside, you know, mid-range, let's say. He's not like a sniper from outside, but you get that guy with the ball on the backside. You know, Sowers skips it over the top. You've got Dyson Williams with just one man on him and no help because all of the help is pushed towards Sowers' side, and you're going to end up having Williams feast. Williams is a very capable two-dodger. You give him the ball with that man, just one guy in space, no help coming, he's going to be like a Mac O'Keefe where he can finish off ball with the best of them. He can also two-step two dodge, you know, dodge underneath when the help's not there and, and get in close to score goals as well. Williams, I'm excited to see play opposite Sowers because Manown, Robertson, all of the midfield unit, the, the two midfield lines, they're going to draw attention in the middle of the field, and that's going to leave Williams open without help quite often on that backside. So I think that's going to be something that teams are going to have a really hard time addressing in 2021. And guys like Robertson and Manown, they're vets. They're not just going to be off-ball players. These, these guys are going to be able to uh, pick up the slack where Sowers is drawing attention. So, hey, we're going to double-team Sowers every time he touches the ball. Let Manown and Robertson get some, get some touches without help and the defense because they're paying so much attention to, to Michael Sowers. They're going to be more than capable of feasting at times. They're going to, you know, you're going to see a game where Sowers only puts up three or four points, maybe, and Manown ends up putting up five goals, or Robertson puts up five goals. These guys are capable of scoring in spurts. Hell, you might see some of those guys put up five, eight points in a game uh, to, to help as teams are doing everything they can to try to stop Sowers. Other notables offensively, because everyone's like, hey, you haven't even talked about the midfield yet. Uh, Caputo, Walsh, Montgomery, Bedore. I mean, these guys... Duke had two really solid midfield lines, and I think the two line was actually playing a little bit better 
not even a little bit better, probably a lot better than the than the one line. And I think the two line was starting to get a little a few more reps than than the the first midline was to the point where maybe you eventually would have seen them swap. But they had two full lines of midfielders last year that were that you could have put them up against any any other team in the country in terms of the depth all the way through. And they're back. All of them. They're back, and you added some. You added Joe Robertson to the mix. I mean, you've got Brendan O'Neill. You've got too many attackmen to play, and you're going to have to keep some of these guys. My cat is trying to eat my, my uh, um, what do you call it, my mixer. Hey, cat, stop eating my mixer. So you guys get to see that. Where was I? Yeah, so, I mean, these, these two midfield lines, they were solid all the way through, and now you're going to just have more guys that are going to end up in that mix. I, I, you're going to end up seeing one or two possibly of the guys that played on either that first or second midfield line probably see decreased burn overall because of the depth that they're they're bringing to the table here this year. Defensively, that was their weakness last year. I wouldn't call it a weakness. They were the 29th ranked defense in Division 1. That's not terrible and their goalkeeping play has not been great, although it's not it's not as bad as it is for some teams. Um this is where they're less talented overall. JT Giles Harris is back though. There's the cat jumping in the window. JT Giles Harris back Turner and he's you know best best defender in the country overall best overall defender in the country uh you know can hurt you in any number of ways can hurt you even on the offensive side of the ball if need be Turner Upgren goalkeeper back but dodgy Upgren's never been the guy that they needed to win that title albeit he's a serviceable goalie and you put a good defender defense in him, he's not going to lose you too many games, but he's rarely going to win you a game. That could change, though. Everybody gets better. You know, sometimes you, these goalies will come in and have career years their senior year. Uh, so that'll be interesting to watch. But they add Mike Adler. I think his name's Mike Adler. I only have Adler in my notes. But they add Adler from St. Joseph's. He was a very capable goalie. I think one of the top 15, top 20 goalies in terms of save percentage in the shortened 2020 season, and he's been solid. So Adler could kind of steal that job. He could be the more consistent goalkeeper that Duke has been looking for. We won't know until we get into it. Don't count Upgren out. I'm not trying to count Upgren out. He's a vet, knows the system, uh, a good kid all around. So that's going to that's going to play for him a little bit. Um, so as much as I hate to admit it, uh, and because I love to hate Duke, uh, the ACC has been put on notice. Legit. Uh, it's crazy. They have crazy talent. Every ACC team has crazy amounts of talent. Duke has similar talent to all the rest of the ACC teams. And then they have Michael Sowers. And then you kind of look at one side, the other side. I mean, they have Michael Sowers on one side of the ball. They got JT Giles Harris on the other. They have you know, possibly the best defender on the field and the best offensive player in the country, best overall player in the country uh, on their squad. And they've added a couple more players and transfers and uh, new young guns like O'Neal to the mix. So it just never ends. All the ACC teams are loaded. I think Duke is the most loaded ACC team. I am not prepared to crown them the champs. I don't do that. But I am prepared to say if I had to rank order here, uh, the ACC teams uh, preseason. I'm putting Duke at number one, partly just because Mike Sowers is on that team. But overall, it's because Donowski is an incredible coach. By the end of every year, he has them ready to play to the point where they go deep into the playoffs. And this year, he has the, a, a really solid team that happens to have the best player in the country on it. So I think that Duke is our favorite and they are loaded. Now, let's do another segment here. I got a little time here. So we're going to say uh, Ted tells the truth. And uh, I'm going to start doing this more often where I just pick something up within the lacrosse community and then ramble about it. And sometimes it'll be un an unpopular opinion, uh, probably more often than not. This one's easy, though. Is there not an adult on the board that runs the lacrosse world championships? Is there no one with even an ounce, an ounce of sense in their head? 
that could have said before they announced the field for the World Lacrosse Championships, Lacrosse World Championships, that, hey, guys, uh, what do we think the response is going to be from the lacrosse community when we announce this field and it does not include the Iroquois Nationals? How hard can this be to get right? And, like, I just don't know what's – is it the bureaucracy? Are they literally sitting here like, oh, man, we know that the whole world is going to freak out in terms of not having the Iroquois there, but let's, let's, let's not have them here and let's not figure out a way to make that happen. I mean, is there not – is – are they all really that dumb? And I, 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 I'm sorry to people who may know people who sit on that board that decides that, and I'm sorry to the people who sit on that board. But I legitimately do not understand how you could come out with a field for the World Games and not have the Iroquois Nationals on it. You have the U.S. and Canada battling it out for that top spot, and then you have the Iroquois. So if we're just talking in terms of making sure the best eight teams in the world are represented, it's a no-brainer. There's the U.S. and Canada – then there's the Iroquois, and then there's a huge cliff behind the Iroquois that drop off where, where it's just no one else is even close. So you cannot have a tournament without the Iroquois. And we've all, I thought the lacrosse community had made this pretty clear that this was something that we all required. And I mean, if you didn't know then, which you should have, I think now you know. But it's it. Full stop. End of story. You figure out a way to make this happen. Every event, without question, the Iroquois have to play in it. That's just the way that it goes. Now, I understand the Olympics may present some challenges there because then we're dealing with a, a bureaucracy that we have even less control over in that case, but at least, especially for these other world game type events. I mean, it has to be that the Iroquois are included. I, 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 I can't fathom the level of stupidity, and I would hope that they would have had this PR, uh, some sort of PR response ready, knowing that the lacrosse community was going to lose their collective shit over this. But it's simple. You make an exception. You figure out a way to make an exception for the Iroquois, and that's it. The native-born Americans deserve a spot reserved in every world tournament. It's their game. They've lent it to us, and we owe it to them to make sure that they're always represented. I'm, I'm happy that the lacrosse community came together on this one. I think that probably the the players, the coaches, the the you know, the native born in general are sitting here thinking this sucks that they would even try to pull this crap on us, but you'd have to assume that they're kind of like, "Hey, look at what the world, you know, the lacrosse community and the lacrosse world did to, you know, in terms of our outrage and in terms of trying to make sure that we we shouted loud enough that they ended up getting included and then we have Team Ireland, I think it was, that stepped down to let them play. Why is any of that necessary? None of this should have happened. When the field was announced, the bottom, the worst team on that field should not have been included and the Iroquois should have been. And that's it. It's that simple. So I don't draw lines in the sand very often. I don't typically talk politics. I don't think this is a political issue. This is just decency. It's it's simply right. So not having them play, I'd be 100% wrong. I, I just don't get behind that at all. Uh, to end it, a little bit more, little bit more news. Dom Petro. Uh, we were hoping Dom Petromala. All us Q's fans were hoping he ended up in, at Syracuse instead of an ACC foe. His brother had announced earlier in the week, Nick, that he was going to uh, UNC. So North Carolina picked up a really solid four-star long pole in Nick Petromala, and we were hoping Dom Petromala, the fact that he didn't announce with Nick that they were both going to UNC, meant that he was going to Syracuse or not an ACC team, and that is not the case. Petromala announced, I think it was yesterday or the day before, he's also heading to UNC with his brother. So uh, UNC, they just the, the arms race in the ACC continues. UNC picked up a hell of a player right there. Uh, two, two great players, but Dom, the number two guy, I think, uh, Syracuse got the number one guy. I think, uh, UVA 
got the number three guy. UNC just grabbed the number two guy. I bet you Duke and Notre Dame each got one. Like we're le- we're legitimately living in a world in which the five ACC teams could all be in the top ten and possibly even squeak into the top eight or nine. It's going to be pretty crazy to see how this goes because yes, uh, uh, other schools have benefited from COVID transfers, but no conference has benefited more from transfers and just picking up blue chips than the ACC has. So pretty, pretty interesting crap going down. I almost hope it doesn't get too top heavy because the Ivy is going to be hurt pretty badly by uh, their stance and how they work this whole COVID thing. Uh, I know that Denver made out pretty well in that. I don't think the big 10 schools did all that made all that much noise overall. Well, not at least with COVID transfers. So we'll see how it all goes, but Hey, that's it. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, go to laxfactor.com, get swag, support the channel. And you can also go to anchor.fm forward slash laxfactor to listen only or anywhere else that podcasts are found, uh, Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, you name it, we're there. So that is it. Hoost is out. (laughs) 